0: Lord be with you.
1: And with with your spirit. Spirit.
0: Let us pray. O God who didst laid the foundation of man's being in wonder and honor and in greater wonder and honor didst renew the same. Grant it by thy holy incarnation that he who is partaker of our humanity may make us joint heirs of his very Godhead. Even Jesus Christ our Lord who with the Father and the Holy Ghost liveth ever one God world without end. Amen. I want to start with Something slightly off the subject, but just <clears throat> important. In the, first, in the first week, it was asked in the question and answer session, why, then why bother going to church? I don't remember what the scenario was, but the question was posed, and, and we all can pose that question at times. And at the time, I didn't really think much about it. In, in the process of preparing this, I've been rereading stuff. Uh, and went back to Peter Crave's Peter work. Uh, and it just re- brought a whole scenario to mind. Many of you are old enough to remember a time that when you left Sunday morning to go to church, everybody else in the neighborhood was going to church as well. And they were all dressed up, and everybody was heading to, to church in their Sunday go to meeting clothes. Uh, and, and you were just one of many. And I don't know if you've noticed, but now we get out and we drive off, and no one's out. Maybe on the golf course. We live on a golf course, and so they're they're out there in the mornings. Or they may be out mowing their yards, a few, but most are not anywhere to be seen. And we have become the rarity. We really have become the rarity. Now, as an aside, when I first... By the way, I mentioned 1971. That's when I got serious about following Christ, and so I sort of consider that the beginning of my Christian journey, so that's why I mentioned 1971. I knew as soon as the words came out of my lips that you would wonder what I was talking about. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> from the very beginning, I always had a problem with evangelism, because I'm just not one of those people that goes out and bangs on doors and, brother, are you saved kind of stuff. I tried that once with a with the thing that our parish did when I was still in the Episcopal Church, and I wasn't very comfortable with it. I finally said, this is not for me. Uh, however, for some of us, just living the Christian life to the best of our ability can be a tremendous witness to the world. Because what the world sees when it thinks of Christianity is a bunch of hypocrites who try to pre- oppress everybody. So they're surprised when they see somebody who actually lives this stuff, uh, which is what we're trying to get at here in these series of lessons. So, Crave tells us something here that's of value about being in church on Sunday. And remember, this is, well, this is one demon talking to another, trying to get, suggest how to keep Christians from being Christians. One reason we have a lot to fear from the simple fact of regular church attendance is that this is virtually the only public testimony to their faith that any of them are ever required to give today. It is a litmus test a loyalty test. The sacrifice of time it takes to go to church is a deliberate act of choice to give something precious, a little of one's lifetime, to the enemy, God, for no earthly practical reason. If that's not a reason to get up and go to church on Sunday, nothing is. We are cold-hearted and can't be motivated. Uh, That one would just push me every time. Uh, and so we, ha- we have an opportunity to be witnesses just by the fact that we get up and come here. So remember that when you're, when you're struggling and you're thinking, ah, oh, just so much to do and I'm so tired and Saturday was so busy. This is important, if not for nothing else, and there are a lot of other reasons, but for this one, to bear witness in a world that cannot understand why we are even here or what we're about. Okay, today I want to say, I want to talk about in the beginning, God. Uh, And what I'm doing is looking at the instruction of the church on the encounter with God based upon the creation story uh, because it is a thematic which underlies all that we do. And it is both the beginning and the end of the Holy Scriptures uh, and hence of the whole faith. I like to call them the antiphons of creation. The world begins its knowledge with the material. If the world were to take Genesis 1, it would say, I, by the world I mean anyone outside the church who is not, or even in the church who is not allowing himself to be formed and shaped according to the words of Christ and the teaching of the church. Uh, and so with that, then, one might say that, that, that we measure everything by what was in the beginning. What was in the beginning? Well, scientists have all kinds of theories notice their, their hypotheses and theories. I mean, so a lot of stuff cannot simply be proven. They may be right, and they probably are in many ways, but they cannot be proven. We need to keep that in mind. But we look at it from a different perspective. Do not look at Genesis 1 from a scientist materialistic perspective. It is a theological doc- document which introduces us to God, and that's where we start. In the beginning, God, it says. We have to keep that in mind. That's who we are. That's where we start. Science, materialism, is something completely different. It's not wrong. It's just something else. We don't want to look at this as a scientific document. We want to come to the, to, to what, to the knowledge of what we need to do and what we are about from the perspective of God. In the beginning, God. This is a variance in perspective, and the world does not understand it. And I would say that we very often don't understand it. In the Bible, there's something called wisdom. You know the wisdom books. What's the first one? Proverbs is the first of the wisdom books. Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes. If you have the, the, the Deuterocanonicals, which are part of our canon, and the ancient church's canon, you also have Wisdom, Sirach, added to that Tobit all important books and in them the concept is there of wisdom. What is wisdom? Well wisdom could be learning how to do things the right way. Well I suppose that's right but wisdom really is more than that. There's a, there's a I won't recommend you read this but there's a, a book called Sophia the Wisdom of God by Sergei Bulgakov. Don't, don't read it. Don't try. I was confused. I had to read it several times uh, to get his point, but it really came home when I did get it. And that he says this that wisdom is what God reveals about himself, but wisdom also is what is in us that enables us to receive that knowledge and understand it and react to it. So wisdom is twofold downward and upward. And the two are wisdom. So one assumes the other. God makes us assuming that we will learn to be open to him and to be able to receive him and understand what he reveals about himself. And we should be such that we see that and we look to that because that's what fulfills us as human beings. Who God is and what we learn about him and incorporate about him into our beings is what gives us meaning. That is wisdom. When the Bible talks about wisdom, that's what it's referring to. Uh, Let me just read you a couple of verses from, from Proverbs. And this is used regularly in the church's, church's lectionary. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven pillars. I've mentioned this in, in homilies before <clears throat> in sermons. But the tree of life in the Garden of Eden is frequently represented by the menorah. And the menorah in the ancient temple frequently represented the tree of life. How many prongs were on the menorah in the temple? Seven, six, where the one in the middle was God, represented God. What do we have on the altar? But the six candles and the crucifix in the middle. A symbol of paradise and a symbol of wisdom. Come to it. This is when you walk in that door and look up there at that altar, it's telling you, it's telling us, Come to me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will renew you and refresh you. Wisdom has built her house, she has set up her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She has sent out her maids to call from the highest places in the town. (laughs) This is great, this requires humility. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who is without sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave simpleness and live and walk in the way of insight. Now the insight we're talking about is not intellectualism or knowledge, or a college degree, or a seminary degree, or anything. It's knowledge of the God who makes himself known to us, which is what Genesis is telling us. In the beginning, God, he's making himself known, and he wants us to be able to know what he makes known, and that is wisdom. So when God is creating, he's revealing something about himself in the very act of creating. Well, what can we learn then, if this is true, from Genesis 1? Now, there are two creation stories, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and they have two different emphases, and I don't want to deal with that aspect yet, so let's just think in terms of Genesis 1. God creates. He is the first cause. He is that which is the source of all things. His creation is orderly. He speaks, and it is. He speaks, and it is. What order comes out of that what was first before the last is not relevant because the second creation story squishes it all around because it's telling something else. Remember, it's a theological document. This is not what we learn about creation, but what we learn about the one who makes creation, makes us, and wants us to know him and experience him. One of the first things we learn in the first line of Genesis is this. That God reveals himself as multiplicity in unity. Now, what we all think of God is one, right? And yet, the very beginning of Genesis, back up a step. The two main languages that the Bible is written in are Hebrew and Greek. Now, if you're a scholar type, you know that there are some Aramaic texts in the Hebrew text, but just forget that. They're minimal. Hebrew and Greek. And in the church, the Greek, Old Testament, New Testament is the manuscript that we have used. And that's another story, so don't bog down in it. Hebrew and Greek. If you look at the Hebrew, what it says in Genesis 1.1 is this. It uses for God the plural name Elohim. God is one, right? But it uses the plural name. And then it uses the singular masculine verb third person of create. You could, nobody does, but you could translate this in the beginning, God's, he created. See, it's multiplicity in unity, implied in the very use of the words. That formula is used 29 times in the first chapter of Genesis. If that doesn't set the stage for our understanding of reality, nothing does. And it culminates in verse 26 where it says, and God's, he said, let us make man in our image. By the way, if you're offended by the word man, it's an Anglo-Saxon word for human being. So we'll continue to use it. Thank you. Also, the three first three verses after this also speak to this multiplicity. You have God who creates, his word who <clears throat> who speaks, and all things come into being through it. And you have the Holy Spirit who hovers over creation in the midst of creation, hovering over it. In the Eastern Rite, <clears throat> at one point in time, was it during the creed where the, the air is shaken? And some say that's the symbolic of the Holy Spirit hovering over creation. See, it's very creative in these creation-oriented in these liturgies. I used to get so excited about all that stuff, you know, but still do, in case you haven't figured it out. <clears throat> so we have the Father who creates the word who's when it's just spoken, and the Holy Spirit who hovers over creation in the midst of. This is God Himself acting, creating, permeating his creation, if we take that concept of wisdom correctly. So then we take what we've learned here and we let the church take it a step further, because the church is not a bunch of people who came along and said, Oh, I think I figured I like this idea and I like that idea. There were those who said that, and we were able to weave them out through the centuries, thank God. But those who were sound, who wanted to know God, found certain things, and they passed them on to us. So when we talk about the fathers, that's what we're referring to. There were were people who went into this and opened themselves to God and discovered these great and profound truths, how deep they really were. As you're going to see in a minute, it's never deep enough. It keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. You must learn that lesson. And so what they said was, God in his multiplicity in unity is essence and energies. This is what essence of God is. What the church found is that God is transcendent. Transcendent comes from a Latin word. Latin was very prominent in the early centuries of the church's life for the first millennium, in fact, or more. Uh, And transcendent means to go beyond to be beyond. And basically to apply this to God, it means that whatever we say about God, he is greater than that. So if we say God is love, and we like to say, oh, God is love. Well, we're thinking in terms of human love. But God is love, as he transcends that concept. And if you think you have that, then he transcends that. And if we think we've grasped that, he transcends that. He will always transcend what we say about him, even though what we say about him is absolutely true. Remember what I said about antinomy? That's an antinomy. God is always transcendent. He is eternal. We are chronological. A series of moments. Past, present, future. The minute we say, we look for the future, the minute it comes it's it's the present for a split second then it's the past. Maybe it's not even a split second. I don't think we can measure how quickly the present is. And it's gone. God is the past, the present, and the future in an eternal moment right now that is forever. That's what eternal means. Oh, he is omnipresent, that he's everywhere. There is nowhere where God is not. And we need to get that. We are in him. The tragedy of human sin and separation from God is that we we are in him and we can't even see it. Because we are blinded by our own selfishness and our own sinfulness. But he is everywhere. You know, we like to think, well, God is maybe here. uh, And maybe at the operation down the street. But he's not out there when I go to work in the morning. Wrong. Wrong. He is everywhere. He is omniscient. He is all-powerful. He can do everything and anything. We like to say that he can't do certain things, but that's wrong. God can do anything. My father and I used to have a discussion. And I was trying, I was young and I was trying to emphasize the grace of God doing things in me. And and, and he was trying to emphasize that sometimes we have to get up and react to to God. And he would say, his words were, son, there's only so much God can do. Now, I knew what he meant. But there was a side of me wanting to pick an argument with him. You know, and say, Dad, do you realize you're limiting an unlimited God? But I never did, because he wouldn't have gotten that point. He he, he was right from where he was talking. But anyway, God is omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's also all-knowing. He knows all things. All things. He knows each one of us millennia, eons, before we are even conceived. All of us. You wonder why the church has a stand against abortion? We have to call it what it is. It's the taking of human life whom God knows long before any of us in this room ever came into existence. He's all-knowing. There's nothing he doesn't know. So when we go to confession, we may as well open up and get rid of everything, because we're not fooling anybody but ourselves if we think, if I don't say anything, no one will know. God knows. He knew before we did it. Here's one I love. God is simple. I used to think of simple as you know, not very sharp. That doesn't work, obviously, if he's all-knowing. What it means is he's not composite. If we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are not three parts of God. He is simple. He's not composite. You and I are composite beings. We are soul and body. When we die, the soul leaves the body. The body deteriorates, but the soul lives on. So, we see, those are the two parts of the human being. God is not composite. He's simple. So he's three, each identified and unique in its own way, and yet he's one, not composite. Wow. He is unchanging. He doesn't wake up in the morning and think, you know, I think I'll change this whole scenario today make it all different, because these people just don't get it. He's not like that. He's unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is all of what I've just said to you. All of that. And he transcends everything I just said to you. When we say in the beginning, God, that's what we're saying. Wow. That's our starting point. (laughs) Do you see how that changes the whole scenario, if that's our starting point? Well, then he's his energies, because an an agnostic would say, well, if that's the case, then then whatever we say about God means nothing, because he transcends it. They're just words. There was an argument about that in the Middle Ages, by the way. Uh, So it was not a non-orthodox argument, but nonetheless. That was the the gist of it was one side was suggesting that they're just words and that God transcends all of this. Well, he does, and yet they're words which capture elements of the truth which God wants us to understand. But he is also his energies. So he may be transcendent of all of this, but his very nature is to reveal himself, as we've shown. And we call this his energies in the church. And it suggests that there is movement within God. Movement to reveal himself. And it's not, I don't use the word movement in the way that we sense movement, because you see, I stand here, and I move here, and so I'm no longer in that position, I'm in this position. God is everywhere, so the movement's different. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a different kind of movement, but there's an activity, and we use words like the Father who is the creator of all things, the origin of all things, the Son who is begotten, notice that terminology, the Holy Spirit who proceeds, God is revealing himself, there is is movement, and we have to be careful how we use the term, these are his energies, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father is that which we can understand of the essence of God. And the Son is the manifestation of the essence in ways that we can see and understand. And the Holy Spirit is the essence manifesting itself within all of creation, including each of us. Each of us, when St. Paul says we are temples of the Holy Spirit, it's because God dwells within us. As an aside, there are some who suggest in in the church, and I think they may have some wisdom, uh, that there is... There is no place that we think of as hell, because we think of hell as being separated from God. And these are usually monastics who say this, but what they suggest is that hell is to be in the presence of God, which we all are anyway, and not be able to experience it because one wasted his life doing anything but learning to open himself to the divine life. And so, what is on one hand, for those of us who prepare ourselves, or at least give ourselves to God so that he can prepare us and help us prepare ourselves, God is light and we will experience him as light. And if we don't do that, we will experience him as fire. Fire that burns. And that's why Jesus can speak repeatedly of the place of fire. That's the tragedy, the real tragedy, to be able to know God Not do it, not take part in it, not do what we should do so that we can know him and end our lives in his presence forever, unable to respond to it because we squandered it. Sort of like the prodigal son's story up to the point that he returned to his father. Wasted it all. That's sad. So God is his energies. He's coming out of himself to make himself known, for lack of better terminology. And it is in three ways, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not a multiplicity of ways, but in three ways. Years ago, when I was in, before I became Orthodox, let me say, uh, there was an attempt by some people to get rid of the, the masculine language of the Father and the Son. And so what was one of the ways that, was repl- that replaced it was Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. Those are three attributes of God. They are not three persons of God. The language fails and undermines the very thing that scripture and the faith is trying to teach us. These are three these are the three energies of God only these three they're not a multiplicity and they're not to be confused with God's attributes. the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and they are personal. that's why the terminology they are personal. they can be known and experienced and God wants them to be known and experienced. We have to keep that in mind if God becomes so transcendent in our language and understanding that we cannot even have a relationship with him, then we must become deists or agnostics. Orthodox theologian Vladimir Lasky says without God's revelation of himself the ultimate human philosophy is agnosticism because it's the only one that's intellectually correct. Very interesting. Because he is personal This necessitates, then, encounter on our part. And this knowledge, intellectual and experiential, is a product of the creative intent. This is what God intended in the beginning. We take all of this, all of this. And by the way, if you're overwhelmed, that's normal. It's okay. All of us will always be overwhelmed by this. The day we aren't overwhelmed is the day we think we've grasped it all. That's what I like about transcendence. It's always just beyond. I think I may have told some of you, I, I like libraries and books. Uh, and I have an image of myself uh, in heaven. Uh, and I'm in the heavenly archives. And, I, and, the, and the shelves are going up into the clouds and disappearing. And they're extending off in the distance and disappearing. There's no top and no end to it. And I'm on one of those sliding ladders. Way up there, reaching out for a volume of the mighty works of God. And that's what the whole thing is. I have this image of myself like that because he is so magnificent. And that's where we are going in the Christian life. So when we say, uh, in the beginning, God, that's what we are implying. What a place to start. What a difference from what we've all grasped in the world around us. You can see the difference between the material and the immaterial. Now, all of this requires faith, because how do we know this is true? We don't. We really have to step out on a limb and accept it. What does Hebrews 11 say? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things unseen. If I recall when it used the word substance, it used the Greek word hypostasis which is also the word that's used to define the persons of the Holy Trinity in Greek. It is substantive. It is real. They are not phases. They are not modes. They are not words. They're not concepts. They are God. And so faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The hypothesis of things I've seen, not seen. It becomes real, substantive, which is what we want. I would end with two anecdotes, and you may have heard these, they're very popular, and forgive me. I'm getting to be an old guy, and uh, I repeat myself, but anyway, so I might, I might have even told you these, so I don't know. Anyway, there was a fellow who was looking for the pathway to God, and he heard that there was a monk who knew the pathway to God, so we went found this monk, and he went to him and he said, show me the pathway to God. And the monk said, pathways are things that lead to places here on earth. God is a great yawning abyss. Jump. <laughs> Here's the second anecdote, and this is so true. doesn't mean jump into anything. Jump into what's been shown us from the beginning in the church. You can trust it. We can trust it. The other one is this. guy was being chased by a wild beast. And in his haste to escape, he ran over a cliff. And as he was falling, he saw a limb and he grabbed the limb. And he's hanging on for dear life, and he starts yelling, Help! Help! No answer. No one's around. Finally, he says, God, if you're real, help me. Suddenly, hears the voice of God that says, I am real, and I will help you. But you have to do exactly what I tell you. And he said, Yes, yes, of course, anything. And God said, Let go. And the guy thought about it for a minute. He said, Is there anybody else up there? This is the way we do. We want want the spiritual life. We want life in general. We want everything to fit our intellectual, materialistic, preconceived notions of what reality is. And it does not work that way because it's simply not true. So we have to remember, in the beginning, God. That's where we're going. And who he is and what he says and what he's about. That's where we find everything, including who we are as individuals. That's the great discovery. We find ourselves. And we're in a world, in a society where people are desperate because they don't know themselves and they can't find this way. We are the light that can show them. But we have to know it ourselves. Anyway, end of sermon. (laughs) The next time I'm up, I don't know how the timing is going to go, but we'll be talking about man in the beginning what we were like in the beginning and meant to be like. Any questions? Yeah, I, question.
2: oh.
0: I must have worn you out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway. There you
0: go. Yes.
2: The, uh, do you think that's kind of what C.S. Lewis was getting at in the last battle, you know, you With know, yeah, just keeps further up and further in, further up Exactly.
0: Yes, I think so. I think that's exactly what he was getting at. Higher up and farther in. Just it just that's the way God is. You, you, and you notice the in the imagery, for those of you who don't haven't read that story, they go into what is essentially paradise, and there's a wall there and a gate. <clears throat> so they he leads them, Aslan the God, leads them through. and they go through this wall and escape, and inside. It's greater than the wall. You know, whatever the wall showed them, it's larger than that. And at the back is a smaller wall with a smaller gate. And he says higher up and farther in. So they go in, they go through the next gate, an area inside that's bigger than the first area. And at the very back is a smaller wall and a smaller and it keeps getting like this. So they get through these smaller doors and these smaller walls. And what's behind it is even greater and more unfathomable than they imagine. And that's the constant, higher up and farther in. Boy, that's that doesn't capture it, nothing does. It's awesome imagery. Yes, so I asked us last night at that
2: that's how, but why, why don't we believe in progressive revelation again? God already reveal everything we're just extracted. in the
0: Orthodox Church? We don't believe in progressive revelation, uh, that's that's a, a doctrine that comes from elsewhere. But we grow into the revelation. Faith, once for all, delivered to the saints, once for all. We grow into it. So we're constantly opening ourselves and learning. And and we may, in the the future, learn words that better express uh, what the truth is. But they don't express something new. They express the same thing. And they will be in harmony with what has already been revealed. They will just express it more precisely. That's what the church has learned to do, to express more precisely but it's not new revelation so if you open, if we have that idea then anyone with some skill can wake up in the morning and say all right i have a new revelation from god uh, and jesus is not necessary to salvation And you may have a lot of intellectual reasons why well anytime you have a new revelation a new revelation that's a red flag in discernment it's a red flag there are no new revelations We may be drawn more deeply into the mystery, but no new revelations. So So we keep
1: gaining knowledge, and the knowledge teaches us we don't really understand it. We just have
0: people. Well, yes, but we want to understand it, and we can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the irony of it. It's the knowledge that we're learning so transcends our knowledge and our awareness and our acceptance uh, all the time. But that's the joy of it. Yes, ma'am.
1: truth is all out there it's already it's, it's, so for instance you know um Jesus was uh, told in the Old Testament prophets and okay, his apostles didn't get it. like they they are it was all there Jesus knew he, he tried to communicate it to them but they, they didn't get it they couldn't he knew they wouldn't get it but they got it after and He's, so I guess mean, it, it's kind of the same it's the yeah. same thing now it's, it's all it,
2: it's already been we just
0: get he set them up to learn more deeply. And it's interesting that in the Gospels they present the apostles as being so struggling with this who he is. And yet from the earliest time on, the apostolic witness was the one everybody went to for 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 understanding of this truth and what we have received. So we went to the apostles, yeah, are you kidding? We go to the guys who didn't understand yeah because he set them up and when 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 the according to the church that they really came to understand at the resurrection then they saw then they understood. I remember that scene in Jesus of Nazareth when the when the tomb is empty and john and and Peter run to the tomb and and Peter runs in and he's so sort of perplexed, but John just looks up and he's suddenly in rapture totally in rapture because he gets it you know I can't help but think of the prologue of St John the last gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was became flesh and dwelt among us. And We beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. That ends the mass. And that's creation.
2: You might think of it this way. The spiritual life in like a lot of ways, with what Father James is sharing with us today, the spiritual life really is encapsulated in the same way that Jesus told parables. Because when Jesus told parables, he was presenting truth, right? And you could grasp some of those truths in the way that Jesus told parables, it wasn't just to grasp this much. It was to then be led further into the truths of those parables, all at the same time. So we see and embrace truth, but we're drawn to grow further into
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's one of the tools that St. John uses in his gospel is to set, to, to, to find where one is, and it portrays Jesus as doing this. Find one where he is and then draw him. Draw him. So if you notice, when he when he queries people, he always finds where their position is, and then raises a question that makes them think something beyond the limits of their own thinking. And he draws them; he's constantly drawing them, which is kind of neat. It's a great tool. Yeah. Well, you know, the the whole
1: progressive revelation thing is um, is uh, for for me personally. We'll talk about anybody else, just for me. The you know to know that that. that there was truth, the truth of Jesus Christ had come to that understanding in my own personal life from my youth and coming through the Roman Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, back to the Roman Catholic Church and seeking that closeness and relationship with God and and to finally come to the true church, right? So now I come to this diamond, if you will. Now, now comes the... Dusting off and the healing and the removal of misunderstanding and the dirt that keeps me from seeing this shining jewel of the true church and and the revelation that's coming, um, the progressive revelation of not some new truth, but but. I know second up one of these evening ladies. Women, let me process this. Uh, because this is deep, okay. This is the further in you know. This is the this is like, you know, this is why I'm so i I keep crying a lot in church because this is like so overwhelming. This energy stuff is real. It keeps coming at me. It's like, it's like, it's like this diamond has been put in my face, okay? okay? And it and it's just exploding from all these different angles. And it's and it's so beautiful and so wonderful but it is the truth. It's like this coming home thing. And it's and it's like God's energy exploding through his church and through all these people who are trying to do the same thing, who are doing the same thing I'm doing to saying I get it. But the second you say, I get it, you realize how much you don't get it. You know, it's this humility of there's more to learn, you know, at 70 years old. I'm just getting started. It's like I'm given this second chance, but there's this beautiful diamond. I've come home to this beautiful diamond that I've known all my life, kind of sort of you know, yeah. it's been there. I've known him, but, but, he's, but he's but he's brought me into a fullness like I've never known yeah. in my entire life. And it's just like, you know, come dance with me in this in this explosion of light. And it's just so amazing. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> right. Right. No, but, but, it's but exactly right. You started this over here, whoever you were. <laughs> it's progressive revelation. It is a progressive revelation, but not like that other. Not
0: like we was not, yeah, not like we like to think. You, am I saying this
1: right?
0: Yes. Yes, I think, I think so.
1: Do y'all get this? Yeah, are you understanding this? Is this not wonderful to be in the Orthodox Church? Then I get an amen? <laughs> <laughs> amen, sister. <laughs> okay, I'm done now. <laughs>
2: you might, you might say regarding the term, it is not the revelation that progresses, but the rest of us. Yeah. There yeah, we go. As man There you go.
0: <laughs> Were you going to say that? I was going to
2: say something similar. The progressive, the progressive part is our understanding. Yeah. It's not yeah. that the truth changes; it's that we change in our understanding of the truth because what what I understand now is different than what I understood 25 years ago when you and I first and it's different and what I understand when I am 75 will be different from what I understand now although the truth will always be the same throughout the entire span
0: one of the saints, I think it was Saint Sophrony, but I may have been snake mistaken, on his deathbed was asked if he needed he needed something. And he said, no, because I have not yet begun to repent. I now mean, this is a saint. I have not yet begun. And he understood that repentance had to do with opening oneself to God, to this constant deepening of light. I like... Diamond is—that's a good image. I think of, 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 of us in that regard. But if you remember the first Star Trek movie and the guy that the guy that, that became enamored of the the woman who had become some kind of a computer or something, yes, yes. and they merge and this light gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until it explodes. Well, the problem with that is—I mean, the, the image works until the explosion. <laughs> This thing never ends. It continues to get brighter and more radiant, and each one of those is each one of us. And here's the thing, God knew all this about each one of us, millennia, eons, long before time ever came into existence. (laughs) Wow, yeah, what can we say? <laughs> yes, sir. So I think what you and
2: you were kind of describing was like the deification process. Yeah, right. in yeah. into Christ. So what I can hear my secular friends saying is, in a nutshell, they believe like the Big Bang material. that came from a bee monkeys monkeys, and it's just all evolution. And they try to, they, what they say, kind of
1: parallels the deification process. But like the devil does, he just like. Take things and twist them
2: one degree to like hijack what the church is saying—the truth—but they say it in a way that, like, a lot of it kind of like makes sense and it, like maps up, and it's got some truth to it, but it's not the entire truth. So, like, what's the orthodox response to like evolution versus like deification? Because like secular people say, "Oh, we're just we're evolving. We're science." Is well, now,
0: we, we, we we are evolving in a sense, uh, but I don't think we're we're not even talking about going there so you know i can't answer for what the church would say about evolution you know what, what i would say personally is that anytime anyone uses that word we have to get them to qualify what precisely they mean because what i find is that people use it and they mean a, a myriad of different things uh, are they talking specifically about darwin's philosophy are they talking about descended from apes i mean you know according to genesis we're all came out of the water so you know, it's sort of like science. It's what I said in the first lesson. It's sort of like science, but it's not the same because it's a different thing. I think the church's position mainly is don't get bogged down with that. Look at this and measure everything against this. Imagine what, think of what scientists have accomplished and what they could have accomplished if they'd started in this scenario. We we have no way of knowing. We can only surmise. Uh, Yes, sir. Science kind of proves that point
2: because everything we thought was settled science a hundred years ago, we know more. Everything we thought thousand years ago, you know, we know more. So you know, whenever we put all of our trust in something that's incomprehensible, right? Unless we're putting our confidence in the incomprehensible one, right? So you know, yeah. I think it uh, also brought back to my like I always struggle with discipline. Knowing God is was more of an intellectual pursuit most of my life until the last few years, and then I get you know that point where it's like you know okay I'm, I'm looking past that, but now it's like okay I'm going back to the earlier part it's like okay i want to be feeling, I'm to my prayer. Yeah, you know, it's like you keep talking about transcending. It's like no, that's not really what we're talking about here, and it kind of goes back to. God is an unapproachable fire. who reveals Himself, and with the fire either, like you said, it purifies us or it frightens
0: us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, we can carry this on forever. Take it home and okay. contemplate it. Uh, and uh, if you have to ask questions and want some more, contact problem, You can give them my email oh, don't address.
2: Throw me under the bus. No. Don't. <laughs>
0: No, no. You can give my email address, and I'll field the questions through email. I'm, I'm, I'm getting you. I'm dragging you into the mire. But that's what this is. That's what this is all about. <clears throat> so, in any case, thank you.